0: Go ahead and turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and we'll meet there in just a few minutes. Uh, as Bradley mentioned, I do have a, a couple of things to add uh, to the announcements. Uh, several of those are, are prayer, uh, prayer requests. Um, uh, thank you, Doug, for mentioning the Williams family. Uh, as was mentioned this morning, Miss Ruby Williams, um, this is the mother-in-law to Buzzy and Charlotte's daughter. Um, we announced this morning that she was not doing well and was on hospice. But uh, as Doug mentioned in his prayer, she uh, passed away uh, this afternoon, and so we want to want to remember that family as well. And then Miss Linda Neal also mentioned to me uh, that she just found out. Uh, that uh, a good friend of hers, uh, Tony Turner, passed away, and she wants us to remember uh, that family. And of course, uh, we remember Miss Linda uh, as well because she has uh, lost a lot uh, over this last year, and to hear of another loss uh, is, is not easy. So we pray for the Turner family and also uh, Miss Linda. Um, Mike Harden called me earlier today. And said his friend uh, Anita Hurley, uh, who's been on our prayer list. Uh, she has stage four cancer. She's paralyzed from the waist down. She's been taken to Memphis with pneumonia, and he's requesting prayers because she's not doing well. And so we wanted to add add all of these to our uh, to our prayer list. Um, also, uh, I've been told that the uh, ladies' night out um, this week are yes on this Tuesday that um, that event has been canceled, so uh, remember that. Um, Also, the uh, Teen Challenge Meal uh that we've been doing. The one for January will be uh this this week at the Wild Game Mill, but also the one for February will, will be February the fifth at their facility. And if you would like to help with that, uh please see Miss Carol Ellison or Miss Diane Wilkins. And I want to encourage you to uh to be involved with that if you can and keep reaching out to these uh to these men because this is an opportunity for us to build a relationship that who knows one day down the road uh when they are not in that facility uh they may uh come back and worship with us here. So uh, be involved in that and look for the opportunity to build opportunity uh, relationships with those men. Also, if anyone would like to help with a booth at the fundraiser for the Lucy Burgess Scholarship Fund, uh, you are asked to see Miss Jackie Watson uh, or Miss Raina or Miss Meredith Harden. The event will be on Tuesday, February the 12th. So if you'd like to be involved in that, please see any of those ladies. We've been talking about, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, where Paul talks about uh, equipping the saints. And we're looking at uh, all the various ways that we can be involved in that equipping, but also uh, as uh, the leadership of the church uh, looks at being involved in that equipping. equipping. And so tonight we want to think about having an informed mind. What's the number one thing uh, that we point to as Christians? When it comes to what we teach... Uh, When it comes to where we find answers, it's the Bible. And that's what we constantly want to focus on, is what God says in His Word. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're going to be judged by. is how we've lived according to His Word. And that's what makes the Bible so important. You know, so many uh, look at the Bible today and they think of it as just just another old book. Um, A good book written by some good men, but it's ancient. It's out of date. It's not relevant. But we stand and say it is relevant because it comes from Almighty God for His creation, His people, a way to help us, a way to guide us. And so we thank Him for that. Life is a matter of building, isn't it? Uh, Each of us have the opportunity to build many things. We can build secure families. We can build a good reputation. We can build a career. We can build a relationship with God. But some of those things can disappear almost overnight due to financial losses or natural disasters or unforeseen difficulties. So what are we to do? Daniel Webster offered excellent advice saying this, If we work on marble, it will perish. If we work on brass, time will efface it. If we rear temples, they will crumble to dust. But if we work on men's immortal minds, if we imbue them with high principles, with just fear of God and love of their fellow men, we engrave on those tablets something which time cannot efface and which will brighten and brighten to all eternity. You see, the idea of learning, the idea of transforming our mind, Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, is important. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus... He came to Jesus and he said this about Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God sent him. Nicodemus, the great Jewish leader, he refers to Jesus as a teacher. Jesus also said in John chapter 6 and verse 45, It is written in the prophets, And they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. The Scriptures serve as a reminder that everything that we know about God, everything we need to know about God, uh, all all of His will that He has uh, provided for us, we know by studying Scripture. We know by being taught Scripture. And so in, in their book, uh, and Collins talks about the idea of ministry and it, as it deals with equipping the saints for the work of ministry for the church. And they talk about two things in this next chapter as, as it deals with having an informed mind. They talk about, first of all, ministry and doctrine. Some people, they say, think of the word doctrine as divisive. But doctrine, doctrine all, all that is is talking about teaching. Doctrine is teaching. There are biblical teachings in God's Word that must be held on to. Uh, Paul warned the elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 and verse 30. He says this, From among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. And Paul warned them, listen, uh, there's going to be ones that rise up out of your own body, teaching other things that are uh, uh, not in accordance to, to what we've already taught you. Uh, Peter spoke of teaching in Scripture in second Peter chapter three and verse 16, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. And so we can see from these passages of Scripture that that doctrine is important, that teaching is important. And there's some basic biblical teachings, basic biblical doctrines, that is important for us to hold on to, to live by, and to share. For example, in Matthew 16 and verse 16, the Bible teaches that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there are people in our world today that would want to denounce Christ, that would want to uh, talk about Christ as just being uh, some other good person, uh, that some that even would deny Jesus Christ. But this is a basic, biblical, foundational truth, a foundational teaching, that Jesus is the Christ Christ. The Son of the living God. That was Peter's confession. Jesus also taught uh, things about love. Uh, The Bible is full of uh, treating people with love. God treated us with love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But He also taught in the book of John, John chapter 14 and verse 15. If you love Me, keep My commandments. In John chapter 14 and verse 15, he says, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And so, the scripture there gives us the idea that, uh, yes, there is love involved in Christianity. We are to show love because we've been shown love. But also, Jesus says, listen, if you really love me, then I want you to follow what I've taught. And Paul mentions seven ones that we want to think about uh, briefly tonight in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Paul starts out and he says, listen, there's one body. And that body is the church. That body is a part of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, uh, look back over there in chapter 1 verses 22 and 23, he gives this beautiful uh, picture. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, Christ, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, the church is important. The church is important to God. The church is important to Christ. Why is that? Well, turn over to Ephesians 5. Paul gives this beautiful picture, and we always use this uh, as it deals with the marriage relationship. But I want you to notice what Paul says about this one body, the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. For no one ever hated its own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. And so Paul gives this beautiful picture uh, of the marriage relationship as it relates to, first of all, Christ and the church. Christ is the bridegroom and he is the head of the body. That's why the church is important to him. Did you see that language? That He might—he loved the church and He gave Himself for her. That He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build My church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The church is important to the Lord. He died for it. It's important to Him. Let us make it and make sure it is important to us. Paul said there is one body and one spirit. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38... Peter and those apostles stood up and Peter, they preached that great gospel sermon and Peter said this, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we surrender our lives to the Lord and we die to Him, in the watery grave of baptism, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now this doesn't mean we can do miracles. Paul dealt with that in First Corinthians chapter twelve and chapter thirteen. Those gifts passed away. That opportunity to pass those miraculous gifts passed away when the apostles did. But we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter twelve and verse thirteen: For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. It's not about nationality, whether slaves are free, and all have been made to drink into one Spirit. We are baptized by one Spirit. We were made to drink of one Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit inspired the words of Scripture found in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. You remember it. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished, or equipped for every good work. That inspiration was through the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, Paul teaches and tells us that the Spirit dwells within each Christian. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit there's one Spirit, and there's one hope. Bages and Collins says this about hope. The one hope of our calling is the one hope of the Gospel. Everlasting salvation with God in Heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, that great resurrection passage. It is, not, uh, it is no mere wish, fantasy, or dream. You remember we talked about this when we did our one-word study and talked about hope. It's not just, well, uh, hope, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wishing it might happen, but they go on to say it's a matter of a certain, confident expectation. One whose hope is in the Lord will never be disappointed or put to shame. We mentioned this morning as Brother Roy prayed uh, about Sister Martha. And he prayed, thanking because of her faith in Jesus. She had a hope, not a wishful hope, but an expectant hope, whenever time ended on this earth, that she would be with the Lord. We share in hope, they go on to say, of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Hope means a desire of some good uh, with expectation of obtaining it. Uh, I hope for that good, I hope for that home, but not, hey, I wish, I'm thinking I might get there, but I know I'm going to get there through my faith in Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of John chapter 14. Paul, while you turn turning there, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 that at that time you were without Christ, speaking about the Gentiles, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You say, where do we get hope? We get hope from Jesus Christ. Where does that come from? That's the one hope that Paul talks about. That's a basic biblical foundational truth. That there is one hope, and that hope's in Jesus Christ. And we can have confidence. We can have confidence that through our faith and obedience through Jesus Christ, we not might, but we do have a home in heaven. Jesus promised in John chapter 14 that great promise let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Some versions say many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That sounds like expectation, doesn't it? Jesus is telling these these readers here, these listeners, I go to prepare a place for you. Expect it. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Expect it. And where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul said there's one body. There's one Spirit. There's one hope. And then Paul also added, there's one Lord. Jesus Christ is not only the light. Jesus Christ is not only the Word. Jesus Christ is not only the Messiah. He is Lord. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we are for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things are all things, and through whom we live. When we submit to Him and His will through faith, and because we love Him and we want to do what He says, we surrender to the one Lord. I think about Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. You remember all the stuff Joseph had been through. His brothers, they they disowned him. They sold him into slavery. And now he's down in, in Potiphar's house in Egypt. And Potiphar's wife took a liking to Egypt. Uh, Or to Joseph, and you remember that she kept trying to seduce Joseph, and Joseph kept saying no, no, no. And finally, one day she kept on, and he said, "Listen, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God?" You see, he had a love for the one God, and he said, "I'm not going to do this because I don't want to sin against God." And we should have that self, that self same love. For our one Lord, Jesus Christ. This title had several meanings. It carried with it the idea of authority. Jesus Christ, the one Lord, has authority. You remember what he said uh, to uh, those listeners? He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This title also shows his ownership. We have submitted our lives to him and submitted ownership of our life to him. Uh, another title, another meaning of this title means he is our master. We have given ourselves to him as slaves and we are masters. Paul de- he is our master. Paul deals with those things in Romans chapter 6. And another meaning of this title is that he is king over his kingdom. We talked about that last week in kingdom living that Jesus is the king. Paul says there's one body, there's one spirit, as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord and one faith. and Collins says this about the faith, the one faith. Faith in Him is our one faith. The faith once delivered, Jude chapter 3 mentions. People kept hearing about Paul, who once persecuted us, uh, is now preaching the faith that, we once, that he once tried to destroy. Uh, he's preaching now. We've heard uh, the faith that, that we believe in, that one faith that he tried to destroy, he is now preaching, they say. And faith in him includes believing every truth of God's Word. That's living by the one faith. Uh, another gentleman says... The one faith is a reference to the whole body of truth embraced by the Christian religion and a reference to Christianity itself. By declaring being Christians, we declare we believe in the one faith. There is one faith because there is only one Christianity, one body of truth for the church, and only one revelation from God to people today. And that's why we proclaim what does the Bible say? Because it's not about what I say, it's not about what I think, it's about what God thinks. It's about what God has instructed me to do and to live. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. This is the same baptism that we've already mentioned that uh, Peter uh, and those apostles mentioned in the book of Acts chapter 2. That baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Also, uh, we mention in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. It's that baptism that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. That immersion or burial in water. Paul also mentions it in Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 and 27. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It is the baptism the apostles taught and shared all through the book of Acts in the conversions of those in the first century and is also written about in the rest of the New Testament. Paul said some biblical truths. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. And that one God, Paul's already mentioned in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, that one God is the Father. He is above all, through all, and in all. God is all. I remember you remember when God went to Moses, told him to go to his people. Who shall I tell them that sent me? He said, You tell them the I am. The God. Bajant and Collins said this about the one God. The magnificence of Of God the Father is the very beginning point of all truth. Genesis one one. In the beginning, Gods. No. In the beginning, a God. No. In the beginning, God. God suggests his sovereignty, his power, and his immortality. Father suggests his tenderness, his love, and his I love this. Approachability. Romans chapter eleven and verse thirty six states. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Paul says, these are some biblical foundational truths. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. I want to share with you a couple of things real quickly that Bajance and Collins shared as they think about ministry and the church. They say, sadly, some people seem to believe that even the concept of church is divisive. Some have made statements like, I love Jesus, but I have no need for organized religion. I'll just serve Him on my own and leave church to those who need it. I have my own ministry. It is true that there is Far more genuine to. Uh, excuse me. It is true that there is far more to genuine Christianity than just attending church. That's an important thought. You say they mix those together. Remember, the church is important to Jesus. He died for it. But being the church is goes beyond just church attendance. That's a part of it, but it goes beyond that. At the same time, Ephesians is a church letter. You'll note all through the book of Ephesians how Paul uses the term body. The church is a body. Not only a body, the church is the body, the body of Christ. They go on to say, to put it another way, unity is a theme in Ephesians. uh, Ephesians 4, rather. Christians are to have the attitudes that build unity. And when we look at these foundational biblical truths, and we follow those because that's what God says, not, not us, not, um, uh, not the eldership, or not the preachers. We follow this because that's what God's Word says. And when we have that as our main goal, God's Word, pleasing God, that brings about unity. We are to believe the foundational truths which are essential to unity, they say. We are to become equipped for the work of ministry so that we can encourage one another to grow more like Jesus, which also builds unity. Imagine if that's our goal. We want to help one another. That means being involved in the work of ministry for the equipping and building up of the saints. Why? So people in Savannah, Tennessee can say, Oh man, isn't that a great church down there? Savannah Church of Christ. That's just some good people. No! No! So that people see our good works, Jesus said, and do what? Glorify the Father. You see, it's all about being more like Jesus. You remember John the Baptist we talked about this morning? See, people came, they want to know, who are you doing these great things? Who are you? And John says, uh -uh, it's not about me. I'm not any of these things that, that you think I am, but I'm the witness pointing to Jesus. I'm the lamp reflecting the light, the light of Christ. And when we seek to be more like Jesus, and we seek to please the one Lord, that brings unity. Faithful ministry builds unity. I want to share with you one more thing that they say, and then the lesson will be yours. They say, Think of ways in which the factors in Ephesians 4, 1-6 build upon each other in an escalating cycle. A sense of God's high calling causes us to want to walk in a worthy manner. We begin that walk with humility and gentleness and patience, forbearance and love. We exert our maximum effort to maintain God-given Bible-based unity along with harmonious peace. We find a new appreciation for the seven absolutes of unity, and we highly cherish each one. Therefore, we become even more aware of our heavenly calling, more determined to walk in a worthy manner, and so forth. The cycle continues without end. The more we want to be like Christ, the more we lead each other to being more like Christ, the more we're unified. Therefore, the more we realize how much we need Christ. And that cycle just continues, continues, and continues. The pyramids in Egypt are possibly some of the most famous structures in the world. These pyramids had great social meaning when they were built. Much more than just royal tombs. They represented the dignity and power of kings. So building a pyramid was a national project involving the entire country. Every household in Egypt sent workers, grain, food to contribute to this project, which enabled the king to become a god in the afterlife, they believed. The final step in uh, in the building program was to place a capstone encased in gold on top of the pyramid. The capstone signified that the monumental project was finally finished and it was time for dancing and singing as the entire nation celebrated completion of the national project. In this sense, it was the pyramids that built Egypt. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Rather than the other way around. The pyramids unified the nation in the service of one great and monumental achievement. We can learn from this experience. Unity derives from a shared vision and common purpose. Just as there were great differences among all those Egyptian workers, so there may be great differences among us. However, when we focus on a common task and goal, the unity and the achievements of unity can be great. Do you remember back in the book of Nehemiah? When Nehemiah went out and surveyed the land, he's he's seeking to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Do you remember what Nehemiah led the people in doing? Every one participated in building the wall and protecting the wall. Every one did their part. And Paul tells us when everyone does their part in the work of ministry, the church is edified, the church is built up, and God is glorified. There are some basic biblical truths Uh, I I meant to find this article and it slipped my mind but um, I was reading an article from Christianity Today that said that one of the things that, that we need to do in the church is we need to teach those basic biblical foundational truths of scripture because that's what's important It's important what God has said, what God has directed. It's important how we live by that book. It's important how we join together in unity, striving to be more like Christ so that we will be unified, so that we will be built up, so that God will be glorified. Tonight, are you here... And you may need, for whatever reason, you may need to give your life to Jesus. You may need to rededicate your life to the Lord. You may just need... We have people here that just need prayer. Maybe you're here tonight and that's that's simply all you need. You need prayer from your church family to help you, to hold you. And we want you to know... We're here for you tonight. Whatever your need is tonight, if you have a need to respond to the Lord's invitation, please uh, don't wait another moment, but do so as together we stand and sing.